Good morning, Toongabby Baptist family. My name is Corey Jennings, and I get the privilege of running our youth ministry here on a Friday night. Um, I'm going to bring the Bible reading to you this morning. We're looking at Deuteronomy 19, 1 to 14. So throw your finger in that one, and also Matthew 5, 21 to 26. I'm going to start with the Deuteronomy passage. So it's Deuteronomy 19, verses 1 to 14. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distance involved and divide into three parts the land your, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who, who, who kills a person and flees their safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought. For instance... A man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities to save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is not too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death." since he did, not, did to his neighbor without malice a forethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourself three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he promised on oath to your ancestors and gives you a, the whole land he promised them, because you carefully follow these laws I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk always in obedience with him, then you, do, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, so that it may, may go well with you. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by the predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land your, the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And now we're going to go to Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said... To the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're five down, five to go. Hopefully you can remember the first five and you'll be able to remember the last five. It's great to be here. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the joy of leading us through God's Word this morning. Now, don't freak out. We're not going to go into... Well, those two Bible passages that Corey read, we aren't going to go into too much depth with them, but they just help set a little bit of context for us as we come to do not murder. Now, most of us in this room probably think to ourselves, well... I don't have to worry too much about this because we're all sitting in this room because if we had murdered someone, we'd probably be sitting in a jail somewhere at Silverwater. But let's dig into God's word this morning and let's see what it does say for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we open up your word, you'll guide us. You'll help us to understand just what does you shall not murder mean. And Father, we ask that you'll just pierce our hearts this morning. Lead us to Jesus. And may we delight in you as we live out being rescued people of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm intrigued by creation. I'm intrigued by the world that we live in. I like watching documentaries. I like reading books just to see the diversity and the complexities of the world that we live in. Now, I love the ocean. It's big, it's broad, it's deep. You know, it can get anywhere from 12 to 13 k's deep at the deepest point. I think it can even be deeper than that. And I'm just intrigued by the beauty and the diversity of the world that we live in. You know, us as human beings, we can scuba dive down to about 40 metres safely if you're the average scuba person. So 40 metres. Now, at 1,000 metres, the sun no longer penetrates the water, so it's dark. And at 2,000 metres, there's this fish called the black dragonfish that lives its whole life at about 2,000 metres. It swims around. There is no light at 2,000 metres. This fish portrays no light at all and it's called the black dragon fish it's, it's an intriguing animal now this black dragon fish i look at it and go mm, it's sort of I, I don't think it's that attractive but at 2,000 meters imagine the diversity of wildlife just there not not even at 13 kilometers at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean but I, even as we start to subtract and we zoom on out i really like looking at the world the planet earth and at the distance we see how beautiful and wonderful the earth is it's huge and where we fit onto that planet and yet at the same time if we were to get in our car today and hop on the m4 and travel at about 110 k's an hour and if we traveled for 24 hours a day seven days a week after about 13,000 years we might just cross the breadth of the milky way the galaxy that we live in now how amazing is that there's about 100 million stars in the milky way galaxy and we're a part of that. And then scientists will tell us, and the number's growing all the time, that there's probably another 50 billion galaxies in the universe that we live in. Now, 
How amazing is that? And yet I stand here today on this platform, you sit there in your seats and even consider ourselves as a grain of sand, even in comparison to the universe, that's not small enough. And you and me sit here today and I just go, really? We're this big in the scheme of the universe and really are we of any value? Why am I any different to that black dragonfish? When you put it in comparison, it's like, it's overwhelming to think, really, what are we in this universe? Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory and the wonder of God. The creation, the diversity of that fish, the diversity and the multitude of those stars, they tell us to declare something about God. But what about us? Well, today, I think, do not murder in a way starts to give us a glimpse of why we are different to the black dragonfish. See, doctors, two and a half thousand years ago, Greek philosophers, they had the Hippocratic Act where they talked about being a doctor and they said this about human life as a doctor. I will use those dietary regimes which will benefit my patients according to my greatest ability and judgment. And I will do no harm or injustice to them. So they'll do no harm or injustice to a human being. Neither will I administer a poison to anybody when asked to do so. Nor will I suggest such a course. That was two and a half thousand years ago. The Hippocratic Act which has been around for two and a half thousand years. And in a way doctors have ethics and there's the idea of we'll do no, it's, it's for the sake of the human being. And we saw that with the Dutch. The Nazis asked the Dutch, they said, well, the Nazis wanted them and they ordered them to let the terminally ill and the elderly die. And the Dutch doctors refused to do it. See, in a way, the Dutch doctors gone, no, there is value in human life. Whereas the Nazis have gone, well, actually, physically, their physical ex experience isn't worth they gave value to their physical, they're ill, they're dying, they're elderly. And so their physical experience isn't of value enough to keep them alive. And so these Dutch doctors refused to take their lives. Then in 2001, Holland was the first country that ordered doctors and gave them legal permission to perform euthanasia. Once something considered unthinkable is now seen as something as compassion. Why the shift? Or why do we think like this? Why, why is it okay culturally for an 85-year-old to have euthanasia but a 41 not to? Well, the, 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 I think the premise possibly behind that might be that for the 85-year-old who's terminally ill, their physical experience is no longer of the same value and contentment and happiness as the 45-year-old. And so as soon as we start to put the value of life on physical experience and happiness and contentment, well, therefore, obviously, a 45-year-old is more valuable than an 81-year-old. Or we come to the womb and we start to think about the womb and the fetus and we go, well, someone with Down syndrome, obviously their physical experience and what it's going to mean for their life and the life of their parents isn't going to be filled with happiness and contentment and therefore it's okay to take that life. See, there's a difference in value. We know there's a difference between us and animals and yet we sometimes don't know why. 
And I think maybe culturally we attribute true life, true meaning and true value to the physical experience. Hence why we go, well, when someone's 81, it's okay, but when someone's 15, it's not. And so today we're going we're to delve into the command number six. We're going to look at do not commit murder. And I think it reveals something very, very, very special about humanity for all of us here today, where we are. Even if you're not a Christian here today, I hope you're going to start to understand why Christians actually hold the dignity of life. And so recap, we're doing the Ten Commandments. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments. They're for people who've been set free to live free for Jesus. These are not Ten Commandments that you must obey to be made right with God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you, you come thinking, are oh, these Ten Commandments I must do to get right with God? That's not what they're here for. They're here to lead you to God. But you and me can never do anything to make ourselves right with God. No, God rescues us. God restores us. And it's in the nature of that that God gives these Ten Commandments to his people to live out as rescued people, already saved. Deuteronomy never calls them commandments, they're called 10 words. And we get to our Bibles today, to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, and we see in, we got four English words and it's two in the Hebrew. You shall not murder. And some of you may have a translation that says you shall not kill or you shall not murder. Now, this word is, it's rashak, which is the Hebrew word for murder, um, now, there are a variety of words that can be used for murder and killing in the Old Testament. Here's one thing, though, is capital punishment and war, the Bible uses different Hebrew words. But here, the word that's used for murder, it's used for premeditated murder in 1 Kings. So that means someone has left their house that morning and got up and said, I am going out to murder that person. But it's also used for non-premeditated murder. That means you woke up this morning and you walked outside your house, not planning to kill anyone. But by the end of the day, something happens and you take a life. You go, I want that life gone because their physical experience isn't what I value. I value what I'm going through. But then also, it's not just premeditated murder or non-premeditated. It's also unintentional death by accident. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we see that. We saw in the passage that... Um, Corey read for us. And, and here's a definition, I think, of what it means you shall not murder here as you go through the Old Testament. The definition I give to it is unjustified taking of an innocent life, unjustified taking of an innocent life by direct action or inaction. It's taking an innocent life unjustly by direct action or in action. So this morning we're going to see three things. We're going to see what it, ex what it reveals, this commandment reveals, how it exposes us, but then also where this command leads all of us. So firstly, what does it reveal to us? It reveals to us that we are, it reveals the essential value, the essential value and right of life. That's what it reveals to us. Why murder? Because there's there's resentment, there's discontentment, there's malice, there's hatred, there's bitterness. There's those things in murder that, 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 that's, that's behind it. There's a sense of less value. We go, that person has done something and therefore they are of less value and their happiness, my happiness is dependent on them not being around. Or I need to take a life for a life. In a way that it was an innocent life, it was an accident, but yet we're going to go take more of it. 
I don't value, you're of less value. Now, I have this problem. I, I, well, I, I was a bit stingy, so I'd buy $20 sunglasses from the 7-Eleven, or you go to BP, or you go to BCF. Well, BCF ain't that cheap anymore, but you go and buy sunnies. And so I'd buy a $20 pair of sunnies, and I'd wear them, and, because, and, and I, I drive over them, I sit on them, I break them, I wear them on top of my head, and guess what my head hits all the time? It hits beams and things and it smashes them and I just lose my $20 sunnies all the time and so every month you know like I'm going out down to the BP to buy myself a new set of $20 sunnies and the reason they get driven over and they get smashed is because they're a $20 pair of sunnies they've got no value to me and my lovely wife says you just seem to spend 20 bucks on a pair of sunnies every month and it's just a waste of time and so she made a suggestion why don't you buy a set of Oakleys? And I thought, ooh, that's going to cost me. So I bought a set of Oakleys. One month, two months, three months, four months, 12 months, 24 months, and I still had them. Why? Because they were of high value to me, that every time I took them off my head, I knew they were of value, and so it changed the way I responded. And here we were reminded of the essential value, which is way higher of life. See, in the ancient world, say Babylon, say the Assyrians, say the Egyptians, in these cultures, as this people group are about to go into the Canaanite country, there was not an equal line on this. There was distinction between gender. There was distinction between race abilities, health. And so it was based on your status and your right. And so, for example, a slave, if they murdered someone else or if they murdered the, the master's, someone in the master's family, the master would take the life of the slave. But if the master murdered a slave, they'd probably just pay a few dollars to make up for it. Do you, do you see what that was happening? There was a distinction between humanity that this person is of less value, so here's $5 for that life. But if it's the rich man's life, oh, you'll take that life. So there was a distinction based on those things. But what we see is that no, all life, no matter your race, your gender, no matter the quality of life, we're all equal and sacred. Being sacred means that we're set apart by God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the world. So we're made in his image, we're to represent him. But I want to go to Genesis chapter 9, verse Genesis chapter 9, verse 5. If you want, go get your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 9. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, when we were made in his image, everything was going well. And then Genesis chapter 3 comes along, we rebel. Get to Genesis chapter 6, there's a flood. And then finally, we get to Genesis chapter 9. After this huge flood, we have Noah and his sons and their wives left. And God, in a way, he reminds us of Genesis chapter 1. And he says these words in verse 4 of chapter 9. Sorry. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Verse 5, and for your lifeblood, so that's if your, if your life is taken, I will surely demand an accounting for it. Now have a look there again. Now this is what, I, I saw this this week. I will demand an account from every animal. Now I don't quite get that. Isn't that intriguing? What God's saying is that if a, a, an animal takes the life of a human because it's so valuable, 
is going to be held accountable for it. I've never seen that. And then, and from each human being as well, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. When someone's life is taken, you've ripped up an image bearer of God. As one pastor said, I think it was Timothy Keller, he said, what this shows us is that by taking blood, it's that life is priceless. You can't put a price on it. It's infinite. That we're made in the image of God and it's not our place to take that life. See, the essential value and right of life. See, murder takes that. Now, as we go through, we're going to see that there's intentional murder and there's unintentional. Now, there's intentional. It's going to come on the screen. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12 to 14. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally... But God lets it happen. He is to flee to a place I'll designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, see there's intentional murder, take him away from my altar and put him to death. That's intentional. You can go to Numbers chapter 35 and read that as well. So we've got intentional. I think we get that there's an intentional murder. It's been premeditated or done on purpose. But then there's, did you notice in Deuteronomy 19 there was the unintentional taking of life as well? See, God provides a place of refuge. Now, historically, historically, as these people go into these, this land, there's going to be tribes. Now, in the ancient world, one tribe would live one city, one would live in another city. And if one tribal member took the member of another tribe's life, that tribe would come and seek vengeance for that blood. But what would happen is, if it was an accident, they'd still take the blood and it would just go on for years. So what God's doing here, he's actually saying, no, no, there is a difference between innocent shedding and guilty, like premeditated. Have a look there. Chapter 9 is going to come up on the screen. This is the rule concerning the man who kills another and flees there to save his life. One who kills his neighbor unintentionally without malice or forethought. Now, this next, can I, we get the next bit? Like it made sense. I don't know, like, and you could picture this happening. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. Now, and he probably hasn't made sure that the axe head is secured properly. And as he swings the axe to fall a tree, it flies off and hits someone in the head and that person dies. And the idea of these refuge cities was so that that man could go there and be found to be unintentional. So it's a place of refuge. See, both cities, but... But these cities also can't be used for those who have the intent of murder. Have a look at the next one in verses 11 to 12. But if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and assaults and kills him and then flees to one of these cities, the elders of his town shall send for him and bring him back from the city and hand him over to the avenger of blood. Do you see the sense here? Like it's, the cities of refuge weren't for those who intentionally murdered. They were to go back and be brought before the court. But there is also consequences to unintentional killing. The person may not have meant for the accident to happen, but they are to take responsibility. Is there Exodus 21, 22 to 25 as well there? If a man who are fighting hits a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. 
But if there's a serious injury, you're to take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth. So do you see that there is unintentional, but there is consequences to it? See, do not murder isn't only concerned with the taking of a life, but it's also concerned with the damage to another image bearer's health. And that's what Exodus 21, 18 to 19 says. If men quarrel and one hits the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held responsible if the other gets up and walks around outside with his staff. However, he must pay the injured man for the loss of his time and see that he's completely healed. We, we, do, you, do you see the unintentionality of it? But there's still consequences to it. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, WHS, Work, Health and Safety, was created by the New South Wales government 100 years ago and the government, you know, all the European Union, I don't know, anything. It's just something that's brand new. Well, let's have a look at a text that was written thousands and thousands of years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. This one, I just love this verse, right? It just blows away. When you build a new house, make a paraplete, that's a fence, around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from your roof. Now, in the ancient world, like on us, we have roofs like this, that they've got angles. But in the ancient world, the roofs were flat, and so you'd probably go up there and have dinner. But also, if you had guests, they'd come over and they'd sleep on top of the roof. Now, what does a good Aussie do? They go, well, common sense says they should know better than to fall off the roof. God says, no, your inaction is actually guilty because you know that that's a safety problem and he wants people to be safe. They're your guest at your place. And so your inaction means you're guilty as well. But then the next one right now, I'm from the country. The next one's incredible. Exodus chapter 21, verse 29. Now, I know none of you have got ox in your backyard because otherwise Blacktown Council will be on you. However, the bull, here we go, if... If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or a woman, the bull must be stoned and the owner also must be put to death. Now, that sounds very harsh, doesn't it? But what's the reality here is this man or this woman owns a bull, which is like a tractor or a bulldozer, and this animal is in the habit of hurting people and the owner is inactive in doing anything about it. And it takes life. And so God says their life will be taken because there's inaction. Unjustified taking of an innocent life by direct action or inaction because there is an essential value and right to life of God's image bearers. Now, we probably haven't murdered intentionally. But we're probably more likely being inactive. Simply by doing nothing can actually be breaking commandment number six. Now, the Good Samaritan, the Levites and the priests, they were totally inactive and they walked straight past. Less value, see, because in that moment, that human being was of less value to them than what God had placed on them. So what does it do? Well, it reveals, it reveals the essential value and right to life. Secondly, it exposes it. What does it expose? Like, Already, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of feeling the weight already of inconsistency. It exposes our inconsistencies of when we choose to value life. So this side of Jesus, with the coming of Jesus, he doesn't just wipe this commandment away. He actually doesn't say it's just external. He actually goes really deep and he goes, it's actually about the heart. Did you notice that when Corey read? <clears throat> he goes deeper and deeper. Jesus goes to our thought pattern. See, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 
In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bible, so Matthew chapter 5, in which Corey read so wonderful for us, you have heard, chapter 5, verse 20, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, which really means when you say rakah, you're saying you are not worthy of my consideration. And I don't care if you get hurt. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. I wonder... If you're, if you're going to put your hands up today, how many of you have never had a thought like this towards someone else? How many of you have never been complacent in when you value life? Put your hand up. It's, it's not just intense. It just gets to the heart, doesn't it? It, it exposes our inconsistencies as, as, a, as, a, as humanity of when we value life. Because we, we, we say, yes, we are for life because they're made in God's image. But yet there's moments where we buy into the physical experience of what happiness and true life is about. And so inconsistent, we are inconsistent of when we choose to value life. And, and I think we, we can do it in a few ways, can't we? We can murder with our words. See, guns kill. Knives can inflict wounds, but boy, can words inflict and kill as well. They can kill the spirit of someone that draws them to a very, very dark place. Because see, words are very, very, very powerful things. And I wonder, have you ever said anything to hurt someone? Have you ever used words to build yourself up, but in so doing, you're ensuring that you brought others down. Because see, whether it's verbal murder or whether it's physical, verbal, it's physical murder, they both come from where? They both come from our heart. But not only can we murder with our words, but I think we can murder with our complacency. It's an inconvenience. It is for ourselves and our pursuits. There's those moments, isn't there, where we go, this is just too much effort. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me time to ensure my... And so we stay inactive because we're so active doing everything else. Then we get moments where we go, shouldn't people just have common sense and this shouldn't happen? So we can murder with our complacency. And I wonder as we look back, and even as I look back, as I look back over the last couple of years, I wonder, have we ever used in a frustration or in a tone of voice, have we ever used sarcastic remarks to diminish and to show our disregard for the value of life of an image bearer over the last couple of years? Just with our, either our inaction or our action. Because see, murdering with our words and with our complacency is murdering with our hearts, isn't it? You know, you might be, you might be a, a high school kid here today, you're a teenager, and like this teachers, isn't there, that just frustrates you and you feel to yourself, man, I just hate them. And you can sit there and have your book open in class and you draw their face and you just sit there. And Now, in a way, as we giggle, we know we've all done it. But in that moment, what have we done? We've just ripped up an image bearer of God. Have you ever... 
as adults, done the same thing. We don't, we don't physically put a dartboard up on our a face or something up on our dartboard and throw darts at them, but we can think it in our minds. Have you ever taken the satisfaction in the demise and the fall of someone else? And at the time you go, you say to other people, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, but actually deep down, you're quite happy that they fell because it makes you look better. Or maybe it's been some practical jokes that have been done in a way that makes others laugh and you laugh. But really behind the practical jokes and the fun is really just a way to make you feel better and more loved than other people. So that you're the centre of the crowd. See, yes, as Christians, we're strong advocates for pro-life. We speak against euthanasia, but murder actually really goes a lot deeper than that. It actually goes to the depths and reveals the inconsistencies of our hearts in when we choose to value life. I like it as one pastor says, he says, put aside the, the abortion, put aside the euthanasia and actually ask yourself and tell yourself that you break this commandment when you treat with indifference. You see, it's when you treat someone else with indifference. So it's, you break it when you deal with disregard or disdain towards someone else. See our inconsistencies? Now, when I hear do not murder, I think, man, phew, I'm not Ivan Malat. But yet the heart of this command really gets straight to our hearts. And it actually, it just, it get, it just penetrates and it just hits and it, it makes us really realise that we're actually all murderers and therefore we're all murderers deserving of death for the wages of sin is death, says God. Because we've in that moment, whether we've done it physically or unintentionally or we've disregarded the value of an image bearer of God. See, in this moment, that's why for us culturally as Christians in our culture, it is hard because we're saying that human life has instinct value, not because we've placed anything on it because of physical experience or happiness or contentment. No, we're saying that it has intrinsic value because God has said, you are my image bearers. But there is hope and there is peace for all of us found in this commandment because this commandment leads us to see the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus has done at the cross for us. See, it reveals to us the essential value of life, but it exposes our inconsistencies of when we value life. However, how beautiful it is that it actually leads us to true life. So it actually leads us to true life because the opposite of hate is love. And Jesus came, point three, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus is the Lord of life. See, Jesus came to reconcile our relationship with him. Jesus says, I am the Lord of life in Acts chapter three, verse 15. See, this commandment, thirdly, it leads us to true life. See, whether you've taken part in the physical act of killing, or even if you've given consent, <clears throat> or even the stance of your heart has been anger towards another, or whether it's just been the disregard for safety or inaction towards others, there is forgiveness in Christ. All our debt from what you did has been taken away through what Christ has done at the cross. See, if it was up to you, if it was up to me, if it was up to each of us to reconcile ourselves to God, to put this right, 
If we were to go out and put all these things right with God, the burden would be too big to bear. The load would be too large to carry and it would just be so overwhelming that it would just crush us because of our view of, and yet because of our view of value. We just can't do it. And that's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good. The good news of Jesus that sets us free because all of us deserve to die and Jesus didn't deserve to die. It's so profound that the God of this universe who said we are created in his image and he says if a life is taken I will seek blood life because that, that life is priceless and of infinite value and yet the God who created us who says a life for a life and yet the God who said that is the one who came and he died for us. The God of the universe who says that all of life it doesn't matter whether you're disabled. It doesn't matter whether it's in the womb. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you're elderly and suffering from a terminal illness. It doesn't matter what race, color, money in the bank. They're all of essential value. Every single person is of essential value. And why do we know that? Because Christ died for us. Jesus, who was innocent, was murdered so that this guilty murderer could be set free. Jesus, he, he gave up his life so that I may gain true life. Because see, Jesus was the object of absolute hatred. He was the object of anger. He was the object of slander. He was the object of disregard. He was the object of dis, disrepute. He was... He was stripped. Jesus was stripped of all his dignity. And because of this life-giving act at the cross, we are now dearly loved children of God. See, it's because of Jesus we can now live this out. See, God changes our hearts. He changes our hearts from hatred to love, from malice to compassion. And how does he do that? He does that by us looking to the cross. He does that by us going deeper into the good news of Jesus. To understand the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ Jesus. And as we delve into that, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we go from hatred to love. And so we build our lives on his love. He changes us to now start to see the essential value in others. And that's the very reason that it shapes why Christians are for pro-life. It's why we speak against euthanasia. It's why we stand up for the, 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 the child in the womb. However, here's just something for us to reflect on for a moment, is as our culture views life from a perspective possibly of physical experience and contentment and happiness, the reality is we're actually arguing from very different worldviews. And so there is always going to be difficult discussions about this conversation because as Christians we are arguing from a very different worldview than what the everyday Australian is arguing from does that and so be at peace with that because we we have to wrestle with that reality that it's actually something else that's going on before we can get to addressing the value of life but also at this moment just before I share four ways in which we can live this out in a room like this, there will be people who may have 
consented to euthanasia. There may be people in this room who have had an abortion. There may be people who have, have consented or done things and there's a whole lot of guilt and grief and shame that goes along with that. Well, if that's you today and you're in Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've trusted in him, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your slate has been wiped clean, you've been forgiven, and you can rest in the beautiful forgiveness and the redemption of Christ who died for you. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian and there is a sense of guilt and overwhelmness of the things that you've done, the choices you've made, and you are quietly... No one else knows of the things that you've done and it's just eating you up. Can I encourage you to come to Jesus because the good news is you can be forgiven nothing. You don't have to do anything. Come to him and trust in him and he, he has forgiveness because he's paid that debt for you. Because what we've seen this morning is we've revealed, it's revealed that to God the essential value of all human life. It reveals that we are inconsistent with our view of life. But boy, it leads us, it just leads us to the foot of the cross where Christ was killed. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave on the third day. What hope we have because of that. So here's four examples quickly. Four quick examples of how we live as rescued people. Now the first one, you're not probably going to think about, well, you're going to think, James, did you bring this up? The first one's contraception. There you go. So I think, I think this idea of the value and the essential value of, of life in the womb, it actually tells us, now, it makes, you need to just think about the type of contraception you use because of the view of how we view a fertilized egg and when the conception happens and when a life begins. So for you, as Christians in a marriage, you just need to think about the form of contraception you use because all forms work differently. And so it's just something you need to think about. There you go. If you want to talk more about that or it's a bit sort of sketchy, you think, oh, did you bring that up? Come and talk to me afterwards. I'm happy to chat, chat about that. Secondly, I think not only does it affect contraception and the forms you use, but secondly, it means we take responsibility of the safety of others. As a church, it's beautiful that we have a place where people in wheelchairs, people with hard of hearing, we do these things and show the world that actually we care for every single human being, no, dependent of no matter what disability they have. See, someone's only as disabled as we allow them to be. And so that's why we have work, health and safety. That's why we have safe churches. And now that's even why we have rego slips. Like this week, I had to get a rego slip on my car last minute and it was a bit frustrating. But boy, isn't it good to have it? It means we have hopefully more cars on the road that are safe. It's why we get asked not to use our phone. On, on, last night, I'm running at 6.30 at night. I pull up to a set of traffic lights. It's dark. And this car takes off in front of me and this lady was just doing this the whole way through the traffic light. And I thought to myself, boy, imagine if some kid was on the other side. Do, do, do you see that? That's inaction. So take responsibility. Thirdly, it affects the mission. If we are made in God's image, therefore we have billions of people who have never been told they've been made in God's image. So therefore, we need to go to the nations and preach the gospel to them. It, it, it actually spurs us on with the mission of the gospel. But fourth and finally, I think for us here today, it actually shapes Toon Gabby Baptist Church in how we value every single one's life. 
There is no one different. We are all of the same value. We've all been bought by the blood of Christ. It means that every single one of you here today has the same essential value to God and therefore you have the same essential value to me and to each other. We show it and shape it by giving everyone the same time of day. Now, John Stott was a famous pastor in the, in, in, in the UK. Now, he's obviously at a church where you'd have politicians, you'd have kings and queens, they'd all come to the church. And what would happen when John Stott was talking to an elderly lady, the leaders would come up and they would say, excuse me, John, we have someone important here to see you. And John Stott, in his quietness and his wisdom, would say, more important than this woman? Are you saying that they're more important than this elderly woman that I'm talking to? A woman who's been bought by the blood of Jesus, who has a Holy Spirit within her? Are you saying that they're more important than her? And he just keep going on with his conversation. Because in a sense, he, he just saw the value of every single human being because he was grounded in the good news of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What God values is he values human life. And so what God values, we value. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the good news of Jesus has, that has made us right with you, that has shown us the value of our life, shown the value, well, it's shown the depth and the ugliness of our sin. Father, it's really penetrated our hearts to show how there can be hatred and bitterness and and. And, and, and malice can just build up in us, Father. So, Father, we pray for all of us today that we will cling to the cross, we'll delve deeper into your love. Lord, change our hearts to become more of love and compassion and mercy and justice. And so, Father, help us to see the beauty and the wonder of life and to serve you every day. Amen.